Amen. I like those manly songs. I like to hear men singing. Appreciate that. All right. Now that you got me all excited, let's go to 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3. So we continue in uh, these first three verses of this great book, 1 John. First John chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So the title of the message this morning is The Realization of the Children of God. The Realization of the Children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege is ours to assemble together. We thank you that we can lift our voice in song. We thank you for the blessing of, of the privilege to sing praises under thy glorious name and the encouragement that we receive through music, how it encourages our hearts and prepares our hearts to receive the engrafted word which can save souls. Lord, we pray that you'd work in our hearts today through your word, by your Holy Spirit, May you reveal to us truth that we need to help us in our walk with you. And Lord, if there's any in our midst this morning who do not have that relationship with you through the Lord Jesus Christ, that that may be revealed to them and they see their need of you and come by repentance and faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you again, Father, for your this time we have. We pray you'd help us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been considering uh, last this to start these chapter these first three verses um, last week we considered the call as sons and daughters of God and how we are to attend to God's love and and that and that call of God that's been st- bestowed upon us we are called to be children of light and to be a witness and testimony for Him and you know we bear His name we bear His name. And as we consider this morning, we're start look really in verse two is where we kind of left off. As we consider beloved, it says, "Beloved, now are we the sons of God." And we look at that; that's a present title we have. It's present tense. We are the sons and daughters of God right now. We don't wait until the Lord comes. You know, a lot of people have this idea. I remember talking to a guy years ago, and he said, "Well, I guess I'll wait and find out." Now you wait and find out and you're going to be, you're lost. No, God wants you to know right now that you are a child of God. And we can know that. So that is a present realization. So now are we the sons of God. And it says this, And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So there's going to be a realization that we do not experience as of yet, let me ask you this. 
Is there ever a day in your life that you feel like you're not saved? You ever feel like at times God's somehow missing? Or he's not there? Well, welcome to the club. That's what the whole book of Job was about, a lot of it. He said, I go forward and he's not there. And I go backward, he's not there. I go to the left, he's not there. And I go to the right, he's not there. That's what Job said. That's what he felt like. You know, that's how you may feel sometimes. And, but, he, but he did say this, but I know that he knoweth the way that I take. I know God is there. I know that he knows where I am. It's just that I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I don't understand. But there's going to come a day, one of these days, and I believe it's very soon, one of these days it's going to come, there's going to come a day where the realization that we are the children of God because we're going to be in his presence, we're going to have a glorified body, there's going to be no more wondering. God, where are you? Because we're going to dwell with him for all eternity. Won't that be a glorious day? You know, Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, and verses 16 through 19, Romans 8, 16 through 19, the Bible says this, The Spirit itself beareth witness, so he testifies to us with our spirit that we are the sons of God. So that's a present, that we are the children of God. In other words, that's a present possession. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be also glorified together. Now, now that glorifying together is not a realization yet. But it's a realization that it's going to come to pass one of these days. That's our expectation. For I reckon, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be, you know, that's a very emphatic statement, shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. One of these days, we're, it's going to be all made bare. That word manifestation means that all to lay bare, to, to, for all to see. So one of these days, it, it, it's going to be all laid out bare for all to see that we are the children of God. And nobody's going to question anymore or wonder. You know, the event in which it will appear who and what the sons of God are by the glory received from God at the last day. When we receive his glory, people will say, that's a child of God. It will be the day when Christ returns and we are revealed who we are. Not sinners living in a sin-cursed world but sons and daughters of Almighty God glorified with him. See, he says, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, I want to notice several things here. First of all, the Son of God will be fully revealed. Notice in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we shall see him as he is. 
we shall see him. That speaks, if, I'm, if I, my English is correct, that's future tense. We shall see him as he is. Something that is going to come to pass. See, Jesus Christ will then be fully revealed as the Son of God. We will not see him as he was at his first appearing. Appearing as an ordinary baby born, you know, like any other baby's born. But he was laid in a manger and became a man. He looked like an ordinary man. Do you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the world still thinks of him that way. As a baby that was born in Bethlehem almost 2,000 years ago, that grew and became a man, was a good teacher. You know, the world has yet to see or to understand the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we have them revealed to us in the Bible. And particularly, the book of Revelation really reveals who he is. According to Barner Research, two things. The vast majority of Americans believe Jesus was a real person, 92%. But over half of those believe he was just a historical figure. And about half believe he was God. And that he was sinless. So the others just believe he was a historical figure. Uh, Legionnaire, Legionnaire Ministries, August 27, 2020, said this, 52, quote, 52% of people believe Jesus was a good teacher and nothing more. You see, they don't understand who Jesus Christ is. But when he shall appear, we shall see him as he really is. Now, I want to look at a lot of verses here. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Let's start in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to go through the Bible. Philippians chapter 2. <coughs> and verses 5 through 11. The Bible says this. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be with God but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. So he was in the form of God. He was equal with God. Verse 6 tells us. Then it says, made himself. So he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things in the earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what you see here is Jesus in his, his two persons. You really see a complete picture. He's equal with God, because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation. He made himself a man. He laid aside his glory, became a man, even to suffering of death or dying like a man. But then he's also highly exalted. Given a name above every name. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes to Timothy, to Pastor Timothy, and he tells him this. 1 Timothy 6, verse 13 I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witness a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
which in his times he shall show. That's future tense. In his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. That speaks of God. A light that no man can approach unto. Moses could not approach unto God. or The the light of the glory of God would have killed him in his sinful state. So no man can approach unto, that's, that's God, which whom no man can has seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting. So Jesus Christ, the, the man, he had a good testimony before Pontius Pilate, but the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King of kings and Lord of lords and the only potentate, the Prince of princes. So again, you see Jesus as the man. You see him as Lord. That's really who Jesus is. That's a full picture. That's a full picture. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, remember when Jesus ascended back to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, And when he had spoken these things, of course, to his disciples, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So there goes the man, the glorified while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye seen him go into heaven. Now Luke 24 tells us that he went to Bethany, which is the Mount of Olives. And that's where, by way indicates that he, he, and he ascended. He, he ascended from there, Mount of Olives. Um, Luke 29, uh, or 19.29 says, It came to pass that then he came nigh to Bethany, or Bethany, at the Mount called Olives. So Mount of Olives and Bethany is basically the same place. Well, so, so it was at the Mount of Olives where he went up into the clouds and up into heaven. They said, this same Jesus shall so come in like manner. Well, Zechariah 14.4 says this, And his feet shall stand in that day upon Mount Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half the mountain shall be moved toward the north and half of it toward the south. See, this same Jesus, who is our Savior, who died for our sins as a man, as God and man, died for our sins, is, 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 he's now our Savior. He's our interceder. He's the propitiation for our sins between us and the Father. And it's this same Jesus that is Lord of heaven and earth. It's, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord, King of kings and Lord of, Lord of lords, shall so come in like manner just where he left. He will return. But the difference will be twofold. He left with his disciples watching him go up into heaven. He will return in power and great glory. And the world will wail because of him. Because he comes again to judge the world.
Look at Revelation. This is the same Jesus. And we shall see him as he is. This is how we're going to see him when he comes. Revelation chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kinds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. You know, there would have been a day when many people would ask, how will every eye see him? I mean, we can see anything, basically, that goes on in the world with the technology we have. And do you ever consider the fact that God's a lot smarter than we are? God has a lot greater intelligence than any man does. And if man has the intelligence to be able to make something so that we can see what's going on halfway around the world, do you think God can't make it possible for everyone to see when the Lord returns? And by the way, when the Lord returns with power and great glory, he's going to come in the, in the glory of his light. And the night's going to shine like the day. This is the same Jesus. The same Jesus. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all the kingdoms of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and is to come, the Almighty. This is that same Jesus who the world knows not. Paul spoke of him when he wrote to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 through 10. He says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he shall come to be glorified, and see, he's going to be glorified in his saints. He's going to be, we're going to be glorified with him when he comes. By the way, we're coming with him. Read Revelation 19. But the world's going to wail. And he'll be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You see, the difference to the second coming will be, will be twofold. He'll come in power and great glory and the world will wail because of him. This is the same Jesus. The same Jesus whom the world knows not. And they don't know us because they know him not. Charles Wesley wrote about this. And hark the herald angels sing when he said this. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, 
He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. He said he was veiled in flesh. You see, God veiled himself. He withdrew from his glory and became a man. That's why he said in John 15, Father, glorify me with the glory which I had before thee, with thee. He veiled, he was veiled in flesh. The Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, which means God with us. Hail the heaven born, Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mouth he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Also in Benjamin Hanby's, Who is He in Yonder Stall? One of my favorite songs. He says this, Who is He in Yonder Stall at whose feet the shepherds fall? Why did they worship Him? They knew who He was. They knew He was the Messiah. Who is He that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Lo, at midnight, who is he? Praise in dark Gethsemane. Who is he in Calvary's throes? Ask for blessings on his foes. Who is he that from the grave comes to heal and help and save? Who is he that from yon throne rules the world of light alone? Tis the Lord. A wondrous story. You see, we shall see him as he is. The Son of God will be fully revealed to us in the world. We shall see him as he is. Secondly, I want you to notice here, we see the transformation of the saints will be a reality. Notice again verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. So that's a present possession and it not, not, doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now the word appear here is used as something hitherto non-existent. But now made actual, now made visible, now realized. Or as the realization of the children of God. So he says it doth not yet appear. Now, the Bible is not expressly clear as to what life will be like in eternity with the Lord. You know, people have written some book, books about, you know, what they think heaven's going to be like and what eternity with the Lord's going to be like. But, but, you know, much of it's a speculation. If you, if you want a good book you're gonna find, uh, on the subject, you're probably going to find it not real exciting. Because the Bible is not expressly clear what heaven is really going to be like. And it says that it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For for now we see through a glass darkly, 
but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. You know, we look and look at and study God, heaven, eternity, with, as it were, one looking into a, a mirror that's cloudy, that's not clear, in which you can't see everything clearly. You know, you could, if you had a, 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 a mirror, for example, that's hazy and, and you're trying to look at yourself in the mirror in the morning and, and you know, maybe there's a, a pimple over here, but because the, the mirror is cloudy or hazy, you can't see it. That's kind of the idea. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. We don't, we don't exactly know. We do know this. That creation groans and waits for the redemption of the body. Romans chapter 8, passage I read earlier, says in verse 18, For I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also should be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. We know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. So this we do know, that... We're waiting for, we know that we groan, and this body there's corruption, and that we know we're waiting to be liberated from that corruption, from that groaning. That we do know. In Romans 11, verse 33 and 34, he says, All the depth and riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable is the judgment his ways past finding out. Who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? You know, what does it exactly involve in, in Revelation 8, or not Revelation, Romans eight seventeen, where it says, if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. What exactly does that mean? Can you describe for me what that's going to entail in all eternity? Well, we have a few things that the Bible gives us. I'm going to look at those. Look at first Corinthians, start in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. <clears throat> Do you get tired of the world ruling over you? With You know, I was thinking about this morning in Sunday class, we we're talking about King Hazarus and his decree or his command that Vashti come show off her body, that's what it was, before all the men who were half drunk. It was a, a, a command that was counter to the culture and custom, was really something that would have been repudiated in that society. But because he's in a drunken state, he commanded this. Did you get tired of the world dictating to us and trying to force upon us unlawful or ungodly laws and decrees? Well, just hang on. First Corinthians 6, verse 2 says this, Do you not know 
the saints shall judge the world. So when the Lord comes back and we rule and reign with him, it says, this, Paul says to the Corinthians, look, this, do you, don't you know that, why are you going to the court of the world, taking each other in the church to the court in the world, don't you know that we're going to judge the world? We're going to be judges of the world. When, we're, when we rule and reign with Christ, we're going to be judges of the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you not unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Uh, look at Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 1, 5 and 6. And he tells us this. And he says, uh, And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So we're going to, you know, Romans eight seventeen says we're heirs, joint heirs, joint heirs with Christ. If we suffer with him, we shall be glorified together. And here it says that, that he is the prince of the kings of the earth. In other words, he's ruler over all the kings of the earth. Well, who are those kings going to be? Well, look at verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he's the prince of the kings and we are the kings. We're the kings. Let that sink into your head a little bit. We're going to be the kings. We're going to rule and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ who is our prince, who is our leader, you might say. Uh, and so, these, these, are, these are things that are going to be like, look also at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Talks about what body we may have, what, a, what it's going to be like physically, you might say. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change this vile body... And like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So he's going to change, that word change that has the idea of metamorphosis, like, a, like a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. He's going to change this vile body and, and fashion it like his glorious body. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration when Peter, James, and John went up in the mountain with him and, and apart, and, and Jesus, the Bible says he was transfigured. That's that word metamorphosis. He was transfigured before him. He, he shone, his body shone like white as snow. They get a glimpse of his glory. Just a glimpse. And then Moses and Elijah appeared in glorified bodies also and talked with him. And of course, after his resurrection... He appeared. How did he appear? He didn't come through the door. He just appeared. Yet he ate. So, that body, the glorious body he had, we're going to have one like it. We're going to have one like it. And again, it's kind of hard to fathom what exactly that's going to be like because the only thing we know is we're limited to what we can see, where our feet can walk, what our hands can do. We're very limited. But his body was limitless. Didn't have limits. 
What will things be like? Well, go to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. Verses 1 through 4. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of having prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So God's going to dwell with us. Not he in heaven and us on earth, but he's going to dwell with us. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Did something cause you to cry this week? Or this month? You have some sorrow or pain in your life. You know, when we go be with the Lord, that'll all be in the past. Never to happen again. Won't it be wonderful there having no burdens to bear? Revelation 22, verses 3 and 5. 3 to 5, it says... There shall be no more curse. You see, death, sorrow, pain is all fruits of the curse. There's going to be no more curse. Nobody will be out to take advantage of you or get the better of you. To treat you ill. No more curse, but the throne of God, the Lamb shall be in it, and the servant shall serve him. We're going to serve him. And they shall see his face, his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. It's kind of hard to fathom that. But one day it's going to be a reality. Because John says here in chapter 3 that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And the third thing I want you to see here. The knowledge of the Lord's return is manifested by a pursuit of holiness. Notice verse 3. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. The word hath is echo. It's the Greek word echo. That is exactly how it they pronounced it, but, but that's the spelling of it. it. And it is the word echo. You know, it's, you know what an echo is. The word hope here is a very strong term. It means a joyful and confident expectation. It's something we're looking forward to. We can't wait till it comes by, till it comes to pass. It's something you anticipate. This hope is not a blind leap in the dark, if you will. There is evidence for our hope. You know, our promise of resurrection and going to be with the Lord is based upon the evidence of his own resurrection and the promise of him coming for us. 
You know, first Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that he was witness of over 500 people at one time. There is much evidence of his resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said there was many invaluable proofs. Or Luke, I'm sorry, wrote that. Invaluable proofs. And that, you know, just as we've seen him go, we, he would return. Uh, we saw that in Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Paul's whole life in ministry was based upon the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He tells us that in, in Acts 24, 14 and 15. In the first Thessalonians chapter 4, he tells the church at Thessalonica, Brethren, but I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. You sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, in other words, if Jesus died and rose again, those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If you don't believe that the saints are going to be resurrection, you are denying Jesus' resurrection also. And this hope that one has, this expectation in one's life, is demonstrated itself by a pursuit of godliness. You know, I happen to know that when girls prepare for marriage or getting ready for marriage, there's things that are happening. There's preparations being made. There's anticipation in the air. And this is no different. This is no different. You see, if we have this hope in us, the Bible says here, every man that hath this hope purifieth himself, even as he is pure. If we know that the Lord is coming for us and we're expecting it, we also understand that we've got to give an account for our lives. There's preparation. Otherwise, one is like unto the unprofitable servant in Matthew 25, who went and hid his Lord's talent in the earth, and he would be cast out into outer darkness. You know, the pattern we see in the, Acts chap- in the New Testament, for example, in Acts chapter 11, is that the, 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 uh, 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 Paul, uh, Barnabas you know, taught the people, and there was growth. There was, and, and they were called Christians first Antioch. In other words, their lives were demonstrated a, a pursuit of God-likeness or Christ-likeness. And Christ, we know, is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And, of course, we see these principles taught throughout the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, if we are saved, God's going to continue to work in your life. And if you're expecting his soon return, there's going to be an anticipation for that and a preparation for it and a desire to purify yourself, knowing you're going to stand before him giving account. And desiring to please him at that judgment. He's not an unreasonable taskmaster. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
be not conformed to this world, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul wrote to the Philippians in First Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and he says you ought to approve excellent things. Colossians 3, he wrote to them and told them that they ought to pursue uh, holiness and righteousness and godliness. And he, for he said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, that the love of Christ constrains us. In other words, it compels us. It compels us. So if we are the children of God, this pursuit of Christ-likeness should be making itself manifest in our life. We call this sanctification. And it's a process of putting off that which is evil. As we learn from God, listen to His Word, as we study His Word, we learn things in our lives that are not pleasing Him, we ought to be working to put them off. In obedience to Him and putting on Righteousness, right conduct, right thinking. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that we may receive the things done in a body, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now that word terror means reverence, has to do with respect of rank or authority. Uh, Romans 13.3 says, Rulers are not a terror to good works. Same idea, but to evil. Now, if your works are good, you have no reason to be afraid of the judgment of God. But if your works are evil or worthless, then it's another story. Now, let me ask it this way. Are you reverent when you drive through Rollsville. You know what Rollsville is known for, don't you? Stopping speeders. I mean, I talked to a guy who's older than I am, and we were talking about Rollsville one day, and he said, yeah, even when I was a young kid, it was known you did not go over the speed limit, not even one mile per hour over the speed limit, through Rollsville, or they would pull you over. Why? Are you afraid of taking your car that driving your car that fast? Or your truck or whatever it is? No. What are you afraid of? The authority. But you know, the authorities are not terrors to those that do good works but to the evil. God is not a terror to those of good works. He's a terror to those that do evil. Psalm 9, 8 says, And he shall judge the world in righteousness, and he shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. And Paul in Acts 17, 31, to the people at Athens says, Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man, whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. He left no question about who that man was. Jesus Christ. See, you and I will be judged based on what is good or bad, what is pleasing or not pleasing to the Lord, and Jesus Christ will be the judge of what is good or bad, not you or I. 
John 12, 47, 48 says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save. That's why I came the first time, was to save the world. However, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that day. You see, if we have this hope in us, it ought to be having a purifying effect in our life. It manifests itself that way. You know, Paul spoke of that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, his last will and testament. He writes to Timothy, he says, I charge thee therefore for before God and Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, saved and the lost, at his appearing and in his kingdom. Be preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, exhort, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Are you enduring sound doctrine or are you going after your own lust? And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto fables, watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Again, Paul wasn't afraid of the judgment. He was looking forward to it. Why? He had confidence that he had obeyed and fulfilled the Lord's purpose in his life. Henceforth. He says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You see, friend, you can have that same confidence if you love his appearing. That word love there, if you love his appearing, has the idea, do you have preference for his appearing? Do you prize his appearing above worldly things? Is there a manifestation in your life that you are a child of God by a pursuit of those things that please him? Do you have the hope of Christ coming for you? See, it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. One day there's going to come this realization. I mean, the world is going to see it in our bodies, in our appearance, that we're with him. We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to realize the day of no more pain, no more sorrow, no death. It may be soon. Is it a preference for you? Are you walking with him? Are you looking forward to his appearance? Let's pray.